0: In an address to the press conference opening the Frankfurt Book Fair, author Salman Rushdie extolled freedom of speech and expression as a basic human right, common to all and not limited to a few. He also cast the book world as under siege and worried that the enemy may have an edge. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Publishing is a peaceful business, said Rushdie, though he sees it as approaching a state of war. Yet publishers and writers are not warriors, he lamented, Listening to the author of Satanic Verses in the ironically named Illusion Hall at the Frankfurt Messe Fairgrounds was Andrew Albany, senior writer at Publishers Weekly, who joins me now in the Book Fair's Press Center. And welcome back to Beyond the Book, and welcome back to Frankfurt, Andrew Albany. Hey there, Chris. Well, we were both hearing a stirring message from Salman Rushdie defending writers and publishers as agents of free speech. It was a contemporary message, I thought, with allusions to the Charlie Hebdo press massacre and censure for excessive political Correctness on American campuses, but it raised memories of events from 25 years ago.
1: Yeah, I thought uh, Rushdie was a stirring star to the Frankfurt Book Fair this year, and freedom of speech is always a powerful message. Uh, and it did raise, you know, 25 years ago when the Satanic Verses, 26 years ago when the Satanic Verses was first published. Uh, he was a very controversial figure. And in recent years, not so. I mean, the, the fatwa has sort of fallen away. But this year, for some reason, that reignited at the fair. Uh, the Iranian contingency complained about Salman Rushdie's presence here. Uh, there was heightened security. Frankfurt Book Fair officials confirmed to me that uh, there were threats made. Uh, and you saw the security there yesterday. We all had to walk through metal detectors. There were background checks for journalists to get into the opening press conference. But it was all worth it. Rushdie gave a stirring talk about the need to defend free speech. And and as you mentioned, he raised two very interesting points to me. And the first is that speech is not only under threat from violent extremists but also from political correctness on campus and he specifically called out a group of freshman students at Duke who protested uh, their book that they were given for summer reading and he said he thought that maybe those students should give up their spots and allow somebody to come to Duke who would actually benefit from an education and he also noted the need to actually protect writers and not just writing and that's a point i think that often gets overlooked when we defend free speech we defend the right of people to say anything Anywhere, but the writers themselves often are still under threats. And as as he said yesterday, it's no consolation to have your work vindicated if you're dead. It's a little consolation anyway. So stirring speech to start the show.
0: Indeed, it was. And it's worth pointing out that uh, while the Iranian government uh, raised issues and questions with the Frankfurt Book Fair management, there are Iranian publishers who remain here quietly showing off their wares, and I think really sort of joining that challenge that Rushdie made, which is the uh, concerning the power of the written word. Absolutely. In fact, uh,
1: I've been by a few of the Iranian stands, and they're pretty quiet, I have to say. I don't know if they're Hanging low, or whatever they're doing, maybe they're you know trying to to be a little quiet here. But there are Iranian publishers here. Yes, uh, the Iranian Ministry of Culture had a national stand at the fair, and that's what was canceled. That's what it was the official Iranian government actually boycotted the fair this year. But what's interesting about that, and the Frankfurt officials talked to me about this as well, is that it really has little to do with the fair and more to do with politics. As you know, there's a, a an agreement, a nuclear agreement that's quite controversial. And the hardliners in the Iranian government, you know, just need to shore up their own base, I believe. So the Rushdie issue became sort of a political football for them this year, which is unfortunate.
0: Well, well moving on from the news uh, that opened up the Book Fair, we're now in full swing here. A lot of activity going on. The the area that the Book Fair occupies has been concentrated, and maybe that's kind of concentrated people's attentions. You were talking with Anno Nori, who is the CEO of Hachette Livre International, and uh, there were a number of things that you brought up with him. He sees things from a global perspective and from a French perspective, and and one of the issues you raised was around Ebook pricing. Tell us more.
1: That's right. I once again this year I had the opportunity to participate in the CEO panel interview here with a couple of my international uh, trade magazine publishing colleagues, and our guest was Arno Nuri, the CEO of Haschat International. And we've done three of these now, and I have to say, uh, we had Marcus Dole was fantastic, and Brian Murray was great last year. But I really have a soft spot for Mr. Nuri. He did a great job. He just was very human and answered the questions very honestly. And yes, I got to ask him about ebook pricing in the U.S. Uh, we even got to talk a little bit about Amazon. Uh, he made a remark that the Department of Justice, if they were in the room, should leave. <laughs> and he was able to speak freely at that point. But you know, one of the things that I asked him was whether or not he still feared that low prices for ebooks, as was the case in 2010. Uh, was still an issue, or whether that moment had passed that five years into the ebook revolution, with everybody, you know, all, ebooks being a part of the market now, if he still feared that the ebook was devaluing the value of the book in the consumer's mind. And he said, that We will always be wary of that. Uh, he certainly made it sound like they had a, a stronger foothold these days in the agency world, but he said that he would, you know, certainly always pay attention to the prices of books. Um, and he also said that he wasn't sure whether uh, prices of books were actually contributing. To the decline in ebook sales, which we've talked about quite a bit on this show. But he uh, definitely spoke uh, very strongly of the need to preserve prices and to preserve the business model of publishers and not to
0: undermine their
1: business models by charging prices that are
0: too low. That's a message that's uh, welcomed here at Frankfurt, particularly because at least outside the U.S., there are many countries where legislation actually regulates the prices of books in France and in Germany, at least in many other countries as well.
1: That's right. And uh, Nouri, of course, France has. A fixed price law. Uh, Germany does as well. And uh, but Nuri is an international publisher. Deals in markets that are some are fixed price, some are not. And one of my colleagues asked him about that, and he said it was making him schizophrenic. You know, he's, <laughs> essentially he said that when he's in France, he thinks. You know, fixed book pricing is the best and it should be this way everywhere. And then when he's in territories that are not fixed price, he sees the benefit of that there as well. All of this to say, I don't expect fixed price to be coming to the U.S.
0: market anytime soon and neither does he. I was just going to say, from fixed prices to fixing prices, <laughs> let's talk about once more uh, the Apple case where there's been uh, something there's been some, something of a clock ticking there and it's about to run out. That's right. You know, the,
1: the monitor, the external monitor that was appointed to oversee Apple's and anti- Antitrust compliance law after Judge Denise Coate found them liable for price fixing uh, in that 2010 price fixing case. 2013 is when the verdict came down. Uh, well, that monitor has now completed his work. He had a two-year appointment. The two years is up on October 16th. Both parties, Apple and the U.S. Department of Justice, got together and said, we're done here. And uh, Judge Cote swiftly and promptly dismissed the monitor, works over. Uh, now, what is surprising about this is that our listeners may recall, and those who've been following the case will certainly remember, that Apple has kicked and screamed every step of the way. They've seen this monitor's work, Michael Bromwich, as a reign of terror. They've accused him of being a roving, independent, independent, independent monitor that he was like just – you got the impression that he was roaming the halls of Cupertino drinking out of people's coffee cups there. They just despised him and wanted him gone. But all along, despite this reticence uh, to work with him, he's actually gotten some stuff done. He was able to do what he was charged with doing, which was a very narrow mandate, which is just to oversee simply an antitrust training program at Apple couple of seminars a year, you know, a couple of training sessions for some lawyers. That's all it ever was. But it was an opportunity for Apple to kick and scream in front of a judge, and they took that opportunity every chance they got. But uh, for all of the hell that you would have thought Apple had been put through, it all ended very quietly today. And we are now left with, in two weeks, uh, Apple's bid at the Supreme Court. They're filing with the Supreme Court to overturn Judge Denise Coates' ruling is now due on October 28th. So stay tuned. Uh, One more final piece of the puzzle, and it's a big one for Apple.
0: Well, I'm sure they are relieved there in Cupertino, and uh, I'm sure they can put their coffee cups down now with uh, uh, some some sense of relaxation. But it's interesting because I think there's a Silicon Valley approach to things, which is to sort of keep things very, very close to the vest. And it must have really kind of rubbed the wrong way to have somebody watching what they were doing. I think that's exactly it all the way. If you're Apple, you're certainly not going to invite a DOJ-appointed lawyer
1: to just come in and set up shop and poke around, especially not when you're... Doing deals that are very similar to the deal that you did with the publishers, with other content providers. Uh, this is the, the way Apple did business with the publishers; is the way it does business. Um, so I can see them being quite reticent uh, to have their board members and other key people uh, in a position to uh, give a thousand dollar an hour lawyer uh, a crack in the door, you know, so to say. So, yeah, I can understand why they would have been reticent to do so, but it wasn't that bad.
0: Well, I'll take your word for it. And, you know, it really is great to see you here at Frankfurt. It's hard to believe that another year has passed, and, and I was able to at least be in the immediate audience for uh, the Rushdie program. I didn't make my way through the security. I was latecomer to all of that, but I was very moved by what he had to say. And, and you know, at a book fair, it's a real welcome reminder that what we're doing here is something more than just a business. It really is practicing that very human tendency to speak our minds and and uh, he concluded his uh, his remarks with something that i think sort of made it about 2015 and beyond 2015. Rushdie said, At the time of Voltaire, it was clear that the Church was the enemy of freedom of speech. The Enlightenment writers deliberately set out to challenge the power of the Church. We face the renewal of that argument with different churches, but it is just as important and something I'll be thinking about on the flight home. Andrew Albany, senior writer for Publishers Weekly, great to see you here in Frankfurt. Thanks for joining us, as always, on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, and safe travels home, Chris. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights broker for the world's most sought-after materials, including millions of books and e-books, journals, newspapers, magazines, and blogs, as well as images, movies, and television shows. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, find us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. My name is Christopher Keneally. For all of us at Copyright Clearance Center, thanks for listening to Beyond the book.